Now, Easter begins with this senseless death. And as humans, it's this idea of death is something that it strikes the very heart of who we are and it strikes fear into our hearts. And there's something about it, I would say, that even seems unnatural. I remember being in the, the hospital a number of years ago with uh, my father. I had gotten a call out of nowhere and my mom's like, your dad had a stroke. They they've rushed him to London. You got to go down and meet him. So I rushed to London and I remember him laying there and I remember looking at him and holding his hand, and, and he, was, he, he wasn't there. He was just out of it. And there was a lot going through my mind. There was, it, was, it was hard. I had never faced, come this close to the idea of, of the death of someone this close to me. And I remember the, the doctors coming in out. They came and told us there's too much fluid around the brain. Um, we're going to try to drill a hole and, and release it, the pressure that's come from it. Um, if that doesn't work, we might need to remove a piece of the brain and you guys need to get and huddle and talk because that could change things and you need to make a decision whether that's something you want to go about. And so all this has just hit us, right? We're just thinking about this and it's like, it's, it's weighing on us. And I remember going back with my dad in the room and just, we were around him and holding him and, and thinking about all of this darkness and this, you just feel death kind of hovering in the room. And I remember we, we sat there and I didn't know what to do and so we just started singing a hymn. How great thou art, when I an awesome wonder. And I heard something. I looked down and I saw my dad's lips moving. And he was singing with us. And my heart kind of went, ah, oh, there's hope. There's a chance that, that this might not happen here. It was a moment of incalculable grace for myself. It was a feeling of, of an answered prayer. And you know what? I, I could sense God's presence in the room. It also gave me a sense of the wrongness of death. You know, as much as people say, oh, death is natural, it's part of life, it's the most natural thing in the world, something in our spirits rails against it. Deep down, we know that Death is not only our enemy, it is an invader, and it's not supposed to be here. In the current world, yes, death is part of the natural cycle of life. It's a common occurrence. We need to prepare for it. I, I understand that. But it is not the last word. It's not something we just accept and move on. We mourn death. We curse death. We long for the day when death will be defeated. And we look back at the day when death was defeated. Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Interesting way to start the story these two women who were very close to Jesus, one of his closest disciples, and, and they've gone to the, the tomb on a Sunday morning. And why are, why are they going Sunday morning? Well, not Saturday or earlier. The, the, the reason is that he died on a Friday, and at sundown on Friday, the Sabbath began. And so they couldn't do the work that would be necessary in getting themselves to the place where he was buried. 
And so it would be sundown Saturday where they could first kind of go to the grave, but you're not supposed to go to a cemetery at night. And so early Sunday morning, the women are there as soon as they can get there. And they arrive, this is a rich person's tomb. Jesus was a criminal, and that meant that he was actually not allowed to be given a place of honor in, in his death for his family. Like, he couldn't be buried at the family tomb. That was part of the law. And so Joseph of Arimathea steps in with mercy and grace and says, hey, how about, I have a place, which infuriates the Sanhedrin, many members, because why, why is he getting this, this rich burial? He doesn't deserve it. He's a criminal. And what was going to happen here is the family would be allowed to collect the bones of the, per, the criminal who died a year later. So what would happen is they were expecting, oh, we'll come back a year later, and then we'll be able to take those bones, and we'll bring them back, and we'll, we'll put them in the, the family tomb. And so they're trying to get there in time, because there's this Jewish tradition, it's this, an interesting one, that after three days, you would not be able to recognize the body of a dead person. And they were worried that maybe someone was going to move the body. Maybe the Sanhedrin was like, no, we're going to throw him in the mass grave with all the other criminals. Because there, there was this worry brewing. If you want to see a, a glimpse of what the tomb might have looked like, we actually have some pictures of, of a tomb that's from the first century, the same time as Jesus. So this, this is a rich tomb in Jerusalem. If you look at those little square spots there at the bottom, that would be a place where you, you put a, like a, a big stone block to block the tomb like they did because they wanted to make sure no one got in. We have a picture of just coming inside. So this is coming inside the chamber there. And then we have a picture of the passage. Look at this. This passage is hewn out of solid stone. There's no going in and out. It's like there's one way in and one way out. Then we have the lower chamber. So each of those are little niches in which you would put a body and then you have another stone guarding that. Look at that place. Imagine you're two women coming to this kind of creepy, scary place, entering these little tunnels. And imagine being brave enough to do that. And then there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and they became like dead men. It's interesting, if you look into some ancient sources, there's actually attestation to uh, earthquakes hitting Judea at this time. There's a Samaritan historian named Thales. We don't have all of his writings, but we have copies of his writings that were, were copied in, this, in the second century by a man named Julius Africanus. And this is what he wrote. On the whole world there pressed a most fearful darkness, and the rocks were rent by an earthquake, and many places in Judea and other districts were thrown down. So we actually have historical documentation of earthquakes hitting during this weekend. And then an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. He rolled back this giant stone, and then he sat on it. Just chilling. It's a picture here of victory over death. This angel sitting on this, this tombstone. Can you imagine seeing like, whoa, brightly shining like white. Angels are not fluffy, soft entities. They can appear 
gracious and loving, but they are fearsome and they are powerful. And they, this one is sent on an assignment by God with this unimaginable energy. The soldiers are so afraid that they fell down like dead men. Isn't that ironic? These hardened men, these warriors, these, these people have killed and, and faced being killed daily. They're sent to guard a dead man and they end up like dead on the ground. And the dead man on the ground gets up and walks. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just like he said. Come and see the place that he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. Imagine this angel talking to you. Don't be afraid. The first thing an angel often says to people he likes, don't be afraid. He's not here. He is risen. All these words are sinking in, just crashing. Just like he said, he said he was going to rise from the dead, and he did it. Come and see. This is instruction. Come and look. Take a look. Look around this empty tomb. Feel it. Feel the stone with your hands. Is it not at least interesting that the first word of resurrection comes to women? It's a very interesting thing. Women were not really well respected in this culture. We have it written in Josephus. He talks about even at a trial, if you're going to have witnesses, even a multitude of women was not very acceptable because, he says, of the levity and the boldness of their sex. When Christians were first telling the story of the resurrection, there was a, one of the kind of pagan uh, people who were trying to fight against him and uh, Christianity. His name is Celsus. And he argued and he mocked the idea of Mary Magdalene seeing Jesus rise from the dead. He's like, why would we believe her? She is a hysterical female deluded by sorcery. And what I love about this story is that the kingdom of the Messiah of Jesus just turns all these social orders on its head. Boom. Jesus is saying here, women are full of dignity. They'll be the first one to see the power of the resurrection. They are a vital witness in my kingdom. The second thing I love about this is it shows that this is probably a historically accurate that these women believed this and came and, and the disciples believed this as well and, and saw this because if you were going to make up a religion, a phony scam to get money, like people say often the, the churches, if you were Peter and John, you're going to make up a religion, the, the last thing you would do is say, oh yeah, the women saw it. That's not going to help you in your testimonies, your case. The reason that they say this is because it's true. This is what the women saw. They got it first. Like a lot of things. And they're given a mission first as well. They're given an angelic mission. Go and tell the 12. Jesus will meet them in Galilee. And these soldiers, these strong men of war, they're immobilized, but yet these women, 
jump into action. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. And the woman hurried. I love this. The angel says, go quickly. Boom, they're on it. They didn't hesitate. Faithful to the instructions from God. But they're still afraid. Still afraid. It's just a lot to take in. You gotta remember that it is the government that has killed this man. They're going out with this news. This is not gonna be friendly territory. It says they're afraid yet full of joy. Have you ever felt these two things at once, being afraid and full of joy? Some of you might have last night in the overtime of the hockey game. (laughs) And then Jesus appears out of nowhere. They weren't expecting it. If you really think about it, the angel was enough. The message he said is almost the same thing. The angel was enough. I was thinking about this. Why did Jesus show up again? And And it hit me. Jesus loved these women. He cared about them enough to say, I want to see them. I want to see the looks on their face when they get to see me again. Jesus cared enough to see them. He was present to them. He loved them. And I just want to throw this out there to you. If if you're someone who's like, ah, this church stuff and Jesus, and I'm I'm thinking about it, I I get that. I just want to say, are you looking for Jesus? Would you be thinking like, uh, you know, I want, don't be afraid. I want to throw that out there. If you're, if maybe you're running away from Jesus, ah, don't be afraid. And I just, I just say, take a moment, maybe when you're in your own room before bed or something, and just call out. Say, hey, God, I got, this, this stuff is all new to me or uh, skeptical. Uh, could you make yourself known to me? Could you show yourself to me, God? P- put your word in my heart. Let me, let me, I, I need, I need something. Speak it out and just give it to him. I just want you to honestly wait on him and, and, and see if there's something that he might do in your life, whisper in your ear, that might allow you to know that he is real and he loves you. As he greets this, these women, it says greetings. This is like a simple greeting. The, the actual word actually in the Aramaic is rejoice, which is beautiful. Although it's also, it's, kind of, it's a common, by that time it became a common greeting, kind of like how we say peace, say goodbye to people. This is kind of peace and rejoice. But here it's like rejoice, and they're, uh, they're going back to the root etymology of the word. Like, ah, jump at his feet. They grab his feet. Like, ah. And it says that they worship him. Now, these women are good Jewesses. They know the law. You do not worship a human. You do not worship someone in a body. That is the number one commandment. They've never done this ever in their life and they never expected to. And yet they meet the risen Jesus and they fall at his feet and they worship him because he was God made flesh. When you think about the power of this moment, and maybe you say, okay, maybe the women didn't quite understand. They, they made a little subtle mistake. 
They shouldn't have got so caught up in it. They shouldn't have worshipped him. Matthew, who wrote this book, is a, a strong Jewish man, and he would never have condoned this action from the women unless he himself believed Jesus is worthy of worship. Don't be afraid. Now, how do we respond? How do you respond to resurrection power when you meet it? What did, what did the angels say? What did Jesus say? Go and tell. He gives them this mission. Go and tell the rest of the disciples. And at the end of the, this chapter, we'll find that the Great Commission, where Jesus commissions everyone, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the great mission. That, do we realize that this great commission would never have happened with this little mission from the women? And so you might be in this church and you're thinking like, you know, I'm not a great speaker. I don't know how much, I, I don't have any, that many gifts and, and, I, and I don't evangelize and tell tons of people of Jesus. And it's like, do you recognize that without your little mission, your personal little mission from Jesus that he gives to you, that the great mission would not be accomplished? Every one of us has a role to play in this thing. Go and tell. And so we've been walking on the way with Jesus to the book of Matthew, if you've been with us for the past couple of months. And we've been walking with him, and, and we've had a postcard on the way. We've been writing reflections. Today, I want to kind of switch it. And I'm going to invite you, as you, if you come to communion today, there's, the postcards are still here. Beautiful pictures. I'm going to invite you to take a couple. And would you actually write, would you go and tell, would you write a postcard to someone? Maybe it's someone in your life that loves Jesus and you just want to like, hey, happy Easter. We do Christmas cards all the time, right? What about Easter cards? Easter is like my favorite holiday. It deserves a card. Let's write an Easter card to someone. And then maybe you step it up a notch and you write a card to someone who maybe doesn't know Jesus and, but would really, you know, they would respect it. If you sent them the card, they, they'd know that you're thinking about them. They'd be encouraged by it. Wouldn't be offended. It's like maybe you write a card to someone that you can tell, hey, happy Easter. This is the day I'm celebrating Jesus' resurrection. I was thinking about you. How about you think about that? We get to. It's a way to go and tell. Kind of continue. If these women could be brave enough to tell, surely we can as well. Now, the epistle to the Hebrews says that Jesus faced uh, this, this dilemma. Because he had a joy set before him. He had a joy set before him. He endured the cross. And he didn't worry about its shame. And I want to say that about all of us in our lives. That as we go through the trials, as we go through the difficulties, the darknesses, would we realize there is a joy set before us? The, the story of the resurrection is a story of hope in the face of hopelessness. Out of the ashes we rise. I want to call this resurrection power. We hear, hear resurrection power. That's what Easter is about. Now, we need to have a healthy and mature view of resurrection power. Because you can, you can get it wrong. Um, yesterday, my son, my middle one, came to me. He's really excited about Easter, right? And, and we love Easter. It's my, I said it was my favorite holiday. I was talking about it. And he came to me all pumped up. And he's like, Easter power! Like this thing. Almost like the, the emperor. I was like, oh, so. From Star Wars, you know, like electricity. And I was stopping. I'm like, oh, ah, teachable moment. Well, okay, yes, Easter is about Jesus' power, 
but it's not quite like Easter karate chop. Ah, I was like, I got a lot of work to do here. But I wonder sometimes as as Christians, if if some of us and sometimes we we do the same thing, right? Have you ever heard people kind of talk in that same thing with like resurrection power? It's almost like I can do whatever I want and do anything. All I have to do is pray hard enough. I don't think that's what resurrection power is quite about. There's a couple of dangers we have as Christians when we talk about this resurrection. The first one is to kind of overplay it and to, to not recognize that, yes, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. He can do anything. However, we do recognize that his disciples, the very ones who did amazing miracles in his name, that, that knew the power of the resurrection, they did incredible things, healings, and those same apostles died. And, and only one of them died like old and natural. The other ones died horrible deaths, crucified upside down, beheaded, pelted with stones till they died. And you're thinking like, did they were like Easter power? No, they knew Easter power. They knew it was a real thing. And yet at the same time, they faced the reality that death is still lurking. Easter power does not mean that bad things will not happen to us. Easter power means that death will not hold us forever. That's our hope. That death will not have the last word. Now, the other side of it, though, I think, as us rational Westerners, when we face resurrection power, the other side of it is that we can, what we can do with it is we can forget that there is a power there. Because when we're walking through life and we deal with horrible things, cancer, broken relationships, death, the things that we face, we see in life, or we, we, we see all these things, and then we can forget that sometimes Jesus does show up with his power in the midst of things. Sometimes Jesus does decide to invade with his beautiful Easter power. There are glimpses of the resurrection in our life here and now. And we can't pick when they happen. We can't pick who they happen to, but they're there. Jesus is still demonstrating his power 2,000 years later in this world. I have a video I'd like to watch kind of for me as a moment as a, a glimpse of resurrection power. Two strangers who both volunteered at the same Phoenix rescue mission discovered they share more than just a passion for giving back. Yeah, they were long lost daughter and father. This incredible is an story. incredible story. Fox 10's Ty Brennan has the story of how they'll be spending their first Father's Day together. 24 years ago, Amy went up for adoption uh, pretty early, uh, right after birth. At the time, Will Russell was not ready to be a father, his life in no shape to take on the responsibilities of fatherhood. But deep down, he always knew he would again be reunited with the daughter he gave up. He just didn't know how or when. I found myself volunteering down at the uh, Phoenix Rescue Mission. And it was at that point in time that uh, one day after coming home from volunteering, I got that phone call. I called just to tell him that I was his daughter and 
hope, hoping to meet him and any siblings that I had. Unbeknownst to anyone else, for the past six months, it's been a constant prayer that uh, God would lead me into her life. It took a lot for me to make the phone call. I was really nervous, but it was definitely something that I felt like I needed to do. For me to hear on the other end, she said, please say something. My heart's beating through my chest, and the only thing I could tell her was, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Russell says his prayers had been answered, but here's where the story gets even more interesting. The two decided to meet the next morning. Russell began telling his new daughter about his life and his volunteer work at the Phoenix Rescue Mission. She said, oh, that's where I volunteer. And that's when there was just this moment of silence. And I kept thinking to myself, maybe she's talking about another mission. And uh, she said, no the Phoenix Rescue Mission. The two had been working at the same time in different parts of the mission, not knowing the deep connection they shared. It's never a hopeless situation, you know, if it's meant to be, he'll make it in his time. God has perfect timing. The two says their reunion, no coincidence. In Phoenix, Ty Brennan, Fox 10 News. To see the resurrection power in that story, this man who had fallen into addictions, and kind of the resurrection power of Jesus entered his life and it overcame them. He actually became a pastor. And yet he still has this longing in his heart for this reconciliation with his daughter that he had had to give up for adoption. And he started praying for it. And then enters resurrection power. I want to encourage you this year to look around you Keep your eyes out for, for glimpses of the resurrection in the present. Maybe begin by looking back in your past. I think of most of us, we can look back and, and a lot of times we're like, I remember when Jesus entered my life. I remember when he did that for me. Do you remember that? But we forget it, right? And it gets lost. Maybe drag some of those out and remember the times that he entered your life with this power that changed your life and brought new life and new hope. And then start looking for them. Even, even in the midst of the darknesses that you might be facing you, Jesus is alive. Let's keep our eyes open for his presence. Because Jesus promised in Matthew, I will always be with you. I will always be with you. Jesus is present. He is alive right now. He is here right now. Can you sense him? Do you feel him? I feel him in the, in, the, in the presence of the people here who love Jesus, the Spirit of God living in them, the Spirit of Christ. I feel the presence of Christ. I, I felt them in the water. Jesus is alive and he is here and he wants to show you him. So when he shows up your lives this year, let's take a look at and point out the points where you see his presence. Oh, there he is. Remember them. Hold on to them. So when the times get dark, you, you can hold on to those and remember. Just like the, I think of those apostles when they're hanging upside down on a cross and just remembering the risen Christ before them. It's like, I'm going to go, go through this because I know the power of the resurrection. Death has been defeated. Life is the true story of the universe. And with the resurrection of Jesus, we learn once and for all that there is life after death. There will be life after death. And because of him, we can look forward to this infinite future of hope and joy and life. 
thanks to our living King Jesus, we know the thing we feared fiercest has morphed from normality to a mere formality. And so we sing, mortality, where is your sting? Now in recollection, your election beckons. Today's the day to reckon. Will you accept him? It's the reception of the resurrection. Amen.